Hallelujah is indeed the highest of praise. Amen. So honored today to be assembled in the house of worship with you and have already been witness to the great things that God has done. I'm just beyond, just beyond honor today that the Lord has chosen us, this body of believers, to deposit the measure of his presence. And it's not by chance or circumstance, but somebody has touched heaven. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that God rewards effort. Amen. I'm grateful that the Lord rewards effort. Brother Tedrick has mentioned beforehand. I'll say again, thank you for everyone who's participated in recent events that have taken place here at Harvest. Don't forget um, that in two weeks we will host a concert for a young lady who is also battling the dreaded disease of cancer. And I would to God, this is, this is Brother Pastor Randolph Oxendine's daughter-in-law. We're just grateful that we could facilitate such an event, that we could serve as the host church for this fundraiser. And I said to someone this morning, I would much, much rather prefer to be in a position to bless somebody than to have to be a recipient of other people's blessings. How about you? I would much rather be able to give out of the abundance that God has given me than to ever be in, the, in a position of receiving. Well, from wherever you are today, we're just blessed to have you here. I think it would go without saying that my friend on, on the front to my immediate left, Brother Isaac Charlemagne, from the island of Haiti, is present with us today. He's a co-worker, friend of mine. And a preacher of the gospel. Let me add, let me add that both he and his father shepherd churches on the island of Haiti. Now, if you don't know where that is, it's in the Caribbean. It shares the island of Hispanola with Dominican Republic. Beautiful weather. But what many of us don't know is that in 2010, same year that God blessed us to move into this facility, they suffered an earthquake of de devastating proportion. And many people lost their lives and their homes. But God in His wise providence has seen fit through time to bring to the United States our friend, Brother Isaac. And Brother Isaac is excited to be here today. He listens to our podcast, praise the Lord. And he said to me, uh, that is good preaching. It blessed my soul. Hallelujah. Praise God. So thank God. Thank God for that going out. While you were standing, let's glean from the word of the Lord together that's recorded in the gospel according to St. Mark. The gospel according to St. Mark, chapter number 8. Verses number 36 and 37. I said this morning, uh, Brother Arbus is feeling real anointed. If he's not careful, he's going to preach my sermon. But many of you know we began a series on last Sunday. The war within conquering one's self. And our focus dealt with the seven deadly or seven cardinal sins. Meaning very bad or serious in nature. But it is the Word of God, 1 John 5, 17, that tells us that all unrighteousness is sin. 
Therefore, there are no classifications or categories of sin. We focused last week on lust, gluttony, and greed. Today, our focus will be upon laziness and wrath. Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. Praise the Lord. And the word of God reads in our presence. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? God of heaven, we thank you for this moment. This moment that you have ordained through time. That we would all assemble together in this place. Thank you for your word embedded in our hearts. That we might gain insight and understanding. We release now the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, to minister into the lives of every person assembled in this room. Let your anointing be great in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. I want to use for a thought and continuation of the series which we began, I want to use a thought. Sin, the forfeiture of the soul. Sin, the forfeiture of the soul. We define the word forfeiture as the loss or the giving up of something as a penalty for wrongdoing. In short, we could define the word forfeiture uh, with the word sacrifice. Sacrifice. We understand in the Bible, which is God's accurate and inerrant word, that from the very beginning of God's interaction with mankind, that we received instruction on both right and wrong. Not only did we receive those instruction, but we also received a very clear understanding of the penalty for committing wrongs. Outlined in the Bible in God's Word, Genesis chapter number 2, verses 16 and 17. The Bible made it very clear that God charged Adam with the care of the garden. And then God warns Adam of the penalty of partaking of those trees that he has forbidden. I heard a gentleman say not long ago it was an apple. Never in the, never in the Bible does the Bible say the fruit was an apple. Never. The Bible only specifies that it was fruit. And when they partook of the forbidden tree, they became sin conscious. We understand from the word of God that's penned in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19 that Satan has no power over the Christian. We know that we are of God 
and that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. What vividly comes to our mind is that he has no power over you and I as a Christian. Unless we surrender our lives to God, then we are under the sway or we are under the control of Satan. I would love to bless our congregation this morning from Revelation 12 and 9, which makes this statement. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast with him. From that stage, I need for us to understand that war began. It was initiated when Satan himself sought to rival the Most High God. And Satan desired to receive the worship that belongs exclusively to God alone. Many of us know through Isaiah's penmanship that the enemy said, I will exalt myself above the throne of God. I will sit on the seat of the Most High God. Praise the Lord. And the enemy just continued to echo all this power tripping that he was on until God allowed him to finish and then God spoke. And when God spoke, he declared that I will bring you down even to the sides of the pit. We know that that war was initiated because of another attitude that arose in Satan's heart. That was the attitude of pride when he thought that he could be at least the equal or superior to God. How many know that God is God by himself and that God doesn't need anybody else? Praise the Lord. So we need to heed the warning, saints of God. If the word of the Lord has given us instruction in regards to right and wrong, and he has warned us of the penalties that ensue, then it ought to become easy to us to avoid the wrong, therefore averting eternal damnation. Am I right? But the only way that's possible is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 9. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, heed the warning. Heed the warning. Praise the Lord. Give attention. Take notice of the warnings. The word of God says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And as believers, we should never, ever take part in sin. We should never condone sin, that meaning to accept or to allow sin. Nor should we ever be selective about what we condemn or what we excuse. First John said that all unrighteousness is sin. It establishes the fact there is no categorization of sin. Praise the Lord. There is no classification of sin. The truth of the matter is, is that all unrighteousness is sin. It's Brother James who goes on to tell us, when a man knows to do right, but does it not, to him it is sin. So today I want our focus to center around, uh, the glory to God, the sins of laziness and the sins of wrath. 
Some of you say, oh my, we might be in for the long haul on this one. It's actually classified as the sin of sloth. It's defined as the sin of inactivity. Preach, pastor. It derives from the Latin term acedia. It means without care. That's what it means. And you can tell me all you want to, but somebody says the word sloth, we immediately picture this animal in our mind that, 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 that makes its habitation in the rainforest of Central and South America. Am I right? They're sloths. That's what they are. And believe it or not, uh, they survive pretty good on doing nothing. Because what they basically do is hang out in the tops of trees upside down. Research it. Don't take my word for it. But research it. And from the word sloth, we get slothfulness or laziness. It's good that we're listening. That means we're taking this in. Physically, it connects with the cessation of movement and an indifference to work. It finds its expression in laziness. One of the world's greatest evangelists, the Reverend Billy Graham. God bless Brother Billy. Billy said this, laziness is the destroyer of opportunity. It kills the spirit and many times it kills the body itself. Can I bless you saints of God? Can I tell you today that a, that a drifting boat is going to always end up downstream? Praise the Lord, a drifting boat. That means uh, one that has no aim, one that has no sense of direction, one that is just aimlessly moving about with the flow of the current. Can I tell you that they're always going to end up downstream? Do you know why slothfulness is so easy to participate in? Can I bless you? Because it takes no effort to do it. It takes no effort at all to be lazy. This is why it becomes so easy. It is one of the more popular and practiced of the seven deadly or cardinal sins because it is so easy to participate in. Now don't worry, God let me know last Monday I wouldn't get too many amens here. So your lack of response does not startle me. I don't know anyone who likes to be called lazy. But the truth of the matter is, my friend, there are at least three types of laziness that are alive and at work in our world on today. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. Genesis 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. Thus the heavens of the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. I mean, does God just leave the greatest examples or what? 
Doesn't God leave the greatest example? Some of you say, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't get where you're going. Well, he gave us the greatest example. You know, he didn't need to rest. I was ministering on one occasion and said this to a gentleman. And he practiced another faith and he said, so your God was tired. And I said, no, don't get it twisted. God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested to set the example because he knew we would get tired. Uh-oh. I lost about half of you right there. Uh, somebody said, Pastor God, don't get tired. No, let's look at Isaiah 40, 28, and I can truthfully declare to you, praise the Lamb of God. I feel a preaching spirit coming on now. I can declare to you today that God doesn't get tired. We get tired because we occupy physical bodies who are susceptible to sickness and or disease. But how many of you know that God don't ever get tired? Amen. Praise the Lord. That gentleman said to me, Brother Isaac, he said, oh, oh, so you want to serve a powerless God. I said, hold on a second, friend. Don't get this twisted now. We're not talking about some little figurine, some little makeshift God. We're talking about Elohim. We're talking about, amen, Jehovah Shaddai. We're talking about the all-sufficient one. We're talking about the self-existent, eternal creator of the ends of the earth. And he never gets tired. Isaiah 40, 28 said, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that God never gets tired or grows weary? Come on, saints of God. I know I'm paraphrasing in your presence. Amen. But then he goes on, Brother Arbus, in about the 31st verse of, of Isaiah chapter 40. And he says this, but they that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. I'm trying to tell you, like I told him, the God I serve, he never sleeps, never slumbers, never never gets tired, never grows weary. And it's God right by himself. Don't need a committee. Preach, Pastor. Glory to God. Don't need a board meeting to be God. Hallelujah. He is God. He's not running a campaign. He's not trying to be God. He's not a perpetrator. He is God. Amen. By himself. Hallelujah. This is better preaching than your responding. But he's God right by himself. Now listen. God rested so that we would understand our need to rest. Praise the Lord. And both the commands to work and the commands to rest started in the Garden of Eden. The Bible book of beginnings in Genesis. So I think it was significant to God that we understand the value of both work and the value of resting. How many times can we recount the occasions in the scriptures when Jesus withdrew himself from the press of the multitude? Why? Because he needed a time of recovery and recuperation. How many of you know that ministry is hard work? Oh, Lord. I said, how many know that ministry is hard work? How many of you know that studies produced have shown that about a 45-minute to a one-hour sermon takes about eight hours of preparation? Right. 
Preachers don't get tired. They work 60-hour-a-week jobs, visit the sick, lead the church, teach Bible study. They don't get tired. Last I checked, they were just people. Still just people. But there are three types of laziness or slothfulness that are both alive and at work in our world on today. Can I begin by saying that one is mental laziness? What does mental laziness do? It looks for the easy way out. Mental laziness looks for shortcuts to be produced. Mental laziness is always devising get-rich-quick schemes because we want to avoid hard work. We want to avoid manual labor. Oh, preach, pastor. The second type of slothfulness taking place in our world today is that of physical slothfulness. That's neglecting work and the duties associated with work. I don't know about anybody else here, but I grew up on a farm and my daddy didn't have to tell me that the livestock need to be fed. He didn't have to say, uh, nephew Joey, uh, that they need water. And he didn't have to say the grass needs cutting. He didn't have to say the eggs need get. He didn't have to say those things because we automatically knew, uh, glory to God, that those things had to be done or else what would happen? Well, you know, we buy everything in a can now. But what happened then? We raised what we ate. We grew our own gardens. Hello, saints of God. There's some of you right now in this room won't eat a chicken off the yard. I got news for you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. They're more sanitary than the ones that the houses are producing. Preach, pastor, preach. Praise the Lord. There's some of us not afraid of work. We'll stand all around it. I'm talking about physical laziness. Glory to God. We want to present a place of worship for God. We don't want to show up on the ground and the grass two foot tall and weeds growing in the flower beds. Preach, Pastor. Glory to God. We don't want to show up with our facilities unkept, with the floor looking like we had a popcorn party in here. Glory to God. I'm talking about physical work. And how many of you know that that takes effort? That takes effort. Brother Isaac works with me. Ask him how I am on the job. I like things the way they should be. And as long as they are, you hear nothing from me. But the minute they're not right, then you can set your ears for a buzzing. Because then I'm going to unload. And I think I need to unload at harvest today. What am I trying to say? Praise the Lord. I'm not going to do that. That's other people's job. As far as I know, myself and the secretary are the only paid positions at this church. As far as I know. One lady told me years ago, she said, you, you, you walk right past a piece of paper balled up on the floor. She said, now the Bible said it's your job. You're supposed to pick it up. I said, excuse me? Well, you're the pastor, aren't you? I said, I am, but didn't you see it before me? 
I said, I remember the word of God said, whatsoever your hands find to do, do it. Then I walked off and said it like this. If I'd have bought up a pile of money and threw it in the floor, you wouldn't have told me it was there. Am I in the right house? If I'd have bought up a $100 bill and threw it in the floor, she'd have said, praise the Lord. I saw the light. Hallelujah. And probably would have never said, did you lose a $100 bill? Is anybody getting what I'm saying? I'm talking about physical work. Somebody said this to me. Somebody said, Pastor, it's just not going to work here like you did in the former site. The former site was much smaller, and you had volunteers, and people came out, and they cleaned the church. But let me help you. That's not going to happen in the new building. That thing's about 12,000 feet big. Amen. It's about 12,000 foot in size. And people aren't going to volunteer to go out there and clean that thing. So in other words, what I want to do is I want to put my name on the list. I want that job. I said, oh, glory, hallelujah. That's the first thing I said. I'm sorry, but that would be a conflict of interest. Because we would contract it out to somebody who doesn't even come here. Before we would pay one of our own to do it. Really? Well, in case you didn't know, yeah, that would be, that would be the pastor showing favoritism. If we assigned that job and paid someone here to do it. And then the, the wheels in my mind started turning. And you know where they led me? They led me that if you won't do it on a volunteer basis, you ain't going to get paid to do it. Now, some of us won't sit the same horse when I leave here today. And if you get mad with me, that's between you and God. But we're grown people. We should clean up behind ourselves. Hello? I am not above cleaning toilets. I am not above mopping floor. I can mop a mean floor. You ever seen me swing a mop? I can mop a mean floor, honey. And I do. As a matter of fact, I did just days ago right here in Harvest Church and am not above it, glory to God, because there's not one lazy bone in my body. Everything that I've ever acquired in life, my father taught me to get up and go get it, amen. He didn't say the mailman was bringing it. He didn't say that fortune was bringing it. My daddy said, if you don't work, you ought not eat. Oh, I got to move on. Some of y'all's already getting knots over your eyebrows. Let me go ahead. Praise the Lord. I've talked about mental laziness. I've talked about physical laziness. That's to neglect to work and to do the duties that are associated with work. I want to really bless the body of believers at Harvest Church this morning and tell us a major area that we are failing in, and that is spiritual slothfulness. Spiritual slothfulness. What is that? Amen. Spiritual slothfulness is neglecting to pray, to read the scriptures, to use the talents and or abilities that God has given you, to grace the presence of fellow believers whenever the doors are open to this assembly or meeting place. That is called spiritual slothfulness. It has engulfed the body of the living God. It has infiltrated the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we might as well admit it and shame the devil. We all get spiritually lazy at times. Got to move on. Got to move on. I don't want want to lose anybody. Got to move on. How many of you ever heard of Sir Isaac Newton? Anybody ever heard of Sir Isaac Newton? Let me tell you who Sir Isaac Newton was. Sir Isaac Newton was an English mathematician, a physicist, an astronomer, a theologian, and an author. Sounds like a busy guy. 
But in fact, he was one of the greatest scientists who ever lived. You ever heard of Newton's law of motion? Let's go back to school. Let's go back to school. Many of you are going to look at me like, Preacher, I didn't, I didn't learn anything in school. Some of you bit the erasers off your pencils because you thought you were too smart to need them. But Newton's law of motion says that an object in motion tends to remain in motion. And an object at rest tends to remain at rest. Let that sink in for a minute. I want that to sink in for a minute. Can that be said about you and I as individuals? Can it be said that we have adopted the sin of laziness as a lifestyle? I'm not talking about the mental or the physical right now. I'm just dwelling on the spiritual. This is the medicine we need, y'all. This is the medicine we need is the body of Christ. We need this. Because we have become spiritually slothful. Christians are at odds over the most pettish things that you have ever seen in your life. And how many of you know how disgruntled we can become when we don't get things our way? Well, I'm sad to report to you today that you can fall in that center aisle kicking and screaming. But you're not going to have your way. Because this says different. Many of us has witnessed those little children throwing grocery store tantrums. Hello? Many of us told our children, you better not embarrass me in public. Because when I get you home, praise the Lord somebody. Brother Harold said, I never made it home. Boy, this is good preaching. Praise the Lord. Fall in the floor, kicking and screaming, having one more sizable tantrum. Sister Kathleen Oxendine and the Reverend Carly Oxendine made it clear when you left that house. If you didn't have any sense, you better find some on the way to where we're going. Praise the Lord. Preach, Pastor. Preach. Can it be said that you and I as individuals that we've adopted the sin of laziness as a lifestyle? Listen, here's what's going to be the determining factor. Now, I want you to be honest this morning in the very presence of God Almighty who has an all-seeing eye and who is omnipresent, which means he's here and the church down the road and the one up the road. Hello? It means he's present everywhere at the same time. I want to ask you one good question involving your work ethic. When the clock goes off in the morning, do you rise or hit the snooze button? Come on, somebody. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about being honest right here in the presence of God. Let's be honest now. Uh, when, when the clock goes off, do we roll over and get up? Or do we press 
the S-N-O-O-Z-E-E-E-E button. I did that for a reason. Because we're trying to get some more Z's. And we hit the snooze button. Answer me. What is that encouraging? Be honest now. What, what, what's hitting the snooze button encouraging? What, 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 what's, it in, what's, it, what's, it, I mean, what's it promoting? Five more minutes? Yeah, but the problem is we are so undisciplined. Preach, pastor. We are so undisciplined we hit it again. And what does that promote? Five more minutes. How many can be honest right here, right now, today in the presence of God and this great group of witnesses that would honestly say, I hit the snooze button more than three times every morning. Come on to the altar of God right now. Come on, line up, get me a bottle, get me a massive bottle. I don't need this little teeny bottle that we've got. I need a five-gallon bucket full of oil. Because let me tell you what that's promoting. If it's promoting the reality that you are going to sneak or steal, you can't make up time. It's impossible. And here's how I want to bless us today in the household of faith and tell us that that's a bad, bad habit that we need to get rid of. Why? Because what is it promoting? It's showing our children that we are unconcerned about punctuality. It's telling our, oh, it don't make any difference if you're five minutes late. You don't have to convince me. I watch it every Sunday. You, you don't have to convince me. Service time is 9.30. Y'all, listen, y'all might as well tie your bootstraps now. Y'all, listen, girls, you might as well pull up your pantyhose. It's getting ready to get tight in here. I'm trying to tell you right now. Praise the Lord. We come to the house of God. We're already late. We don't come to our assigned class. We wander around in the hallways and the corridors. We telling each other about the goodness of the Lord. No, you're not. No, you know you're not. No, you're not. Forget about Wednesday night because you're too tired from Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. It's comical. Yeah, it's. We can get us a good laugh off of it, but it's the tr- what if God rewarded us the way we treat him? Preach, pastor. Newton said an object in motion tends to remain in motion, but an object at rest tends to remain at rest. So those of you hitting that snooze button at all need to repent. Amen. Trying to steal five, just five more. Before you know it, 15 minutes have elapsed. And God only knows what we could have produced in 15 minutes. But we'll never know because we've been spiritually lazy. 
Didn't I say earlier that the sin of sloth requires no effort? That's why we're so good at it. We got it down to a science. Because it requires no energy at all. Lord, don't let me get into how entitled we are. The Lord knows I worked 60 hours this week. I did this and I did that and I, I, I. When I hear the I too much, that omits God who made all of it possible. You can think whatever you'd like, but my worship team will tell you. The band will tell you. Everybody in ministry in this church will tell you that they've been privately met with more than one time. And talk to about punctuality and attendance. And you know what you know what type of people we are? We're just like a wayward child who's begging for discipline. It's the truth. It happens. Some of our children will do wrong and we're looking at them. You know why? They know you're lying when you say you're going to discipline them. But I'm from the old school. And you could have your bath and get your bed clothes on and slide into the comforts of those sheets when mama dragged the cover back and said, you thought I forgot, didn't you? And it was on like a pot of neck bone then. Hallelujah, somebody. Slothfulness is the sin that needs no effort. That's why it's so easy. It would blow your mind to know the number of scriptures that the Bible references laziness. Proverbs is filled with them. But I picked this one. Proverbs 21 and 25. And here's what it says. The desire of the lazy man kills him for his hands refuse to labor why is that because lazy people hate work I gotta change gears some of y'all falling asleep for the believer for you and I all work should be tied to or secured to pointing other people to Jesus Christ. All work that we do. We should be the most diligent people on the planet. Am I right? Will you say amen like you're convicted about it? We should be the hardest working people on planet earth. Why? Because the whole world is dying and going to hell. And we can't get to church on time. Preach, Pastor. We're setting a terrible example for our children. Don't do what I do. Do what I say. That's horrible. That's horrible, saints of God. There is no room for laziness in our lives with all the work of the ministry and advancing the kingdom of God that is yet to be done. That's something to do for God's kingdom, Brother Artis, daily. 
Why did Jesus commission you as you and I as witnesses? Empower us with the power, the endowment of power of the Holy Spirit if we're going to sit in a lazy boy. How can we be effective in that regard? It's impossible. Got to hurry. Got to hurry. No room for it. Let's look at Galatians 6, 9, and 10. People say, well, it's different, brother. I'd be out in the yard shooting basketballs. A young guy, Brother Delton, I loved basketball. Still do. Love, love basketball. And my father said this, Sister Ferdinand. He said, boy, if I could get you to put that energy you do into playing ball into getting them crops up. Listen, I'm going to tell you how spoiled some of you guys are. How many of y'all got washing machines and dryers in your house? You got washing machines and dryers? Who has a clothesline? Clothesline. All my family was grown, married, gone, and I was home. And my mother would say, we got to go to the washerette. Y'all know what a washerette is? How about the laundromat? My mom would say, we got to go to the laundromat. I'm thinking, mama, that's not stuff guys do. Boys don't do it. Shut up and hold the basket, boy. <laughs> what are you, you going to say to that? What are you, you going to do, Brother Dill? You're going to hold the basket. We would get home. I would have to take all those baskets to the clothesline and hold them while my mother. You talk about dreading something. I got smart. I constructed a cart with wheels on it. That mama could pull while I shot baskets. <laughs> Tell the truth, shame the devil. Amen. Boy, you're talking about dreading something. I dreaded that with a passion, but it made me appreciate life. And here's the mentality of many of us in this room today. We get up daily and report to a job because we know we're going to be compensated. We're going to get a check at the end of the week for our labors. Here's what the Bible says in regards to that. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. What's that trying to tell us, saints of God? Paul is saying to the body of believers at Galatia that we have this confidence. What is it that our labels will be rewarded if we persevere in diligence? Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we're going to reap if we faint not. Now the Bible speaks about crowns that the believers will acquire when we get to heaven. If you haven't read your Bible, it would bless you to read it. 
you'd discover some hidden truths that you didn't know. But there are going to be crowns that I'll possess that you can't because of the calling upon my life. But I believe they'll be meaningless to us because all we'll be concerned about is just basking in the presence of God throughout eternity. So let's remove the sin of slothfulness from our lives. It's a deadly sin that is destroying the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? I want to move on to my next point, that point being the sin of wrath. Death in the field. This story goes all the way back to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. What is wrath? It's violent anger. It's vehement exasperation. That's what wrath is. How many know that Cain and Abel were the first and second sons of Adam and Eve? Abel was a skilled shepherd. Cain was a farmer. The word of the Lord affords us that they both offered sacrifices unto the Lord to worship Him and to express their gratitude. Something went horribly wrong. You say, Pastor, I, 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 I don't get it. What, what, what went horribly wrong? Well, what went horribly wrong is that God accepted the sacrifice of Abel, but rejected that of Cain. Some of you say, how could that, how could that be? How could that be? Because Abel was careful to give on God's terms. Abel offered his best. He offered the firstborn of his flock, the Bible said, and their fat. But in stark contrast, his brother Cain, who was the farmer, he gave a sacrifice that was just a token. It was only a symbol of what he should have gave. So in other words, Cain offered sacrifice unto God on his terms, not on God's. It was not given from a heart that was devoted to following God's rules. So what happened? Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's rejected. And here is where we see wrath displayed for the first time. Because the Bible tells us that he lured his brother in a field and murdered him. Wow. Can I tell you today that uncontrolled anger is a devastating sin. It's a devastating sin. It shatters friendships. It destroys marriages. It causes abuse in families. Discord in businesses. 
Uncontrolled anger breeds violence in communities. And it causes war between nations. Uncontrolled anger. I want to bless us today and tell us this at Harvest Church. If we don't control our anger, our anger will control us. Is it safe for me to say that? Brother Jerry, you mean God gave me? God gave me the emotion of anger? And it's wrong for me to use it? Anger can be both good and bad. Am I right? How can anger be good? Well, there's a type of anger that appears in the Bible that the scriptures approve of. And it is called righteous indignation. Let's look at Psalm chapter 7, verse 11. Psalm 7 and 11. God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. Is God just? Is he fair? But does his word say he is angry with the wicked every day? He's angry with the wicked every day. So from a biblical perspective, anger is translated from two Greek words. One of those words means passion and or energy. The other word means agitated or boiling. So what was God's intent in giving us the emotion of anger? God's intent in giving us the emotion of anger was that it would be used as energy to help us solve problems. Now how many of you don't get mad at the devil? I have to be careful how I use that word. I don't like to say mad. Because mad means you're uncontrolled. Angry means that you're not pleased with the situation, but that you're still in control. Am I right? How many of you have ever told your spouse, you made me mad? Brother Gerald said he had. He's honest, praise the Lord. But Brother Ted, Ted when, I, when I think of something mad, I think of a rabid animal. I, I, I think of a, a, a dog that's been bitten by some other animal carrying rabies. And they're just delirious. They're out of their mind and, and, and they're aggressive. So I don't ever like to say that makes me mad or I'm mad. Because... I don't believe as believers we should ever lose control. Everybody following. But righteous indignation was that that Jesus expressed in Matthew 21 verses 12 and 13. Well, anger, listen, anger is a strong displeasure in something. Wrath is violent anger. Wrath is anger to a whole nother level. Is that safe? 
It's vehement exasperation. It's the total loss of control. That's what wrath is. But anger means I express a strong displeasure. Can I bless the church of the living God today and let us know that we are never exempt from anger's grip? Never. We talked about righteous indignation earlier. So can I ask this question? Is anger ever justified? Yes. Yes is the correct answer. How, how is anger justified? Let's look at Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21 and verses 12 and 13. Matthew 21, 12 and 13. And here's what the Bible says. Jesus went into the temple of God, drove out all those who brought and sold in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. The merchants and money changers, Brother Marty, they had set up shop in the temple of God. They had done so to offer animals for sacrifice in exchange for currency or temple coins. But here's what happened. They did it at such a high rate of interest that they cheated the worshipers. Because of this, they profaned the house of God. So no wonder that their greed rightfully angered Jesus Christ. So is anger ever justified? The answer is a resounding yes. Especially when that anger is caused by an injustice. Now although anger, bitterness, hatred, jealousy, all these attitudes aren't identical. They are very closely related. Stand with me all over the house of God. And let's look at Hebrews 12 and 15. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 15. We believe this is Paul writing to the believers. And he's talking about renewing our spiritual vitality. And actually back up to 14 it says pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord and then in verse 15 looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled Paul is addressing the believers whose poisonous 
attitudes, if they are left unchecked, they divide the church. I said earlier that bitterness, hatred, jealousy, anger, although they are not identical, they are very closely related. My wife made this statement, and it deserves a great big amen. What is that statement? A bitter, sour Christian is one of Satan's greatest trophies. Am I right? A bitter, sour Christian is one of Satan's greatest trophies because it spreads like poison and divides the church of the living God. Can we overcome anger? Yes, with God's help. How? By decisively confessing our sins and recognizing the transforming power of Almighty God. In my closing, we are promised power and strength when we call upon God to deliver us from spiritual attacks and from Satan's schemes. And here's what Paul said to the believers in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. Many of us say, Pastor, I don't know how that I will overcome such things as immense temptation. But here's what the Bible says. There is no temptation that has overtaken you such, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Somebody say faithful. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. May God bless you today and your presence here at this church. And let's avoid with every ounce of our being those deadly sins as we wage war against the enemy and ourselves. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. God of heaven, if one unsaved person is under...